I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another excellent, wonderful, spectacular, extra, I keep going to extracurricular. I don't know why. I really like that word, even though it doesn't describe what we're doing no, here. No, it does not. It's... It really does not. This is all pretty important. This is all curricular. This is on on the syllabus. You will have to take a final on this. You will be graded. And we're one of those mean professors, so we like have information on the slides that we don't say out loud and isn't in the textbook, but it will be in the test. And that's to make sure you're you're paying attention, not looking at your phone, man. You gotta look at the world around you and learn. Huh. I'm gonna make a great professor one day. <laughs> I feel like it took like in my last like two years of school. I feel like it's been at least three years that, since I had something that like did powerpoints that I could have possibly missed something on. So like when you talk about like this very stereotypical mean professor, I was like, I don't feel like I had one of those. Then I was like, oh wait, I did. But they were in the very early years of my eight year long college wait. career. So you, Kenneth Shepard, are me. telling me, Eric Van Allen, on Normandy FM, a Mass Effect podcast, <laughs> that I need to now say, like, it's a station ID for a radio station, just to make sure that listeners aren't weirded out by what's going on right now. <laughs> you didn't have a lot of PowerPoint slides in your college presentation? Like, really? Not, like, by the time that I got in, at least, like, in the, like, the latter half of, like, my classes, which was, you know, the higher-end journalism stuff. Because hmm. a lot of that was... It was weird, because, like, a lot of the stuff when I got to, the, like, the later classes, was a lot of more discussion-oriented, so, like, we didn't typically have PowerPoints up. It was mostly just, like, everybody actually having to talk to each other, which was, like, its own form of torture, but... Have I told my story yet about blurred lines on this podcast? No, you have not, and I don't think you told me in private either, so please okay. tell me the story. Um, so I, I went to, I went to college, and my, my learning was very, we had a lot of technology. I think the college had just got a new building and all this new computers and stuff so they were really encouraging the professors to like use all that stuff and some of them did some of them didn't i I remember i had one that was very adamant on still using the blackboard it was the worst my favorite by the way not to sidetrack too far from my tangent but to tangent off of my tangent uh my favorite that i ever had was my freshman year first semester i took history of jazz because as listeners longtime listeners of the podcast will recall i originally wanted to go to school for music and so my compromise was that i would go for journalism but i would get to take a music class to kind of see how i would gel with it and i very quickly learned that it was not something that i wanted to do but the history of jazz course i took was very very good because a lot of the times instead of even just listening to the music the professor uh and his tas would just 
jam like they would bring their instruments in and they would just play the music that we were talking about so if we were talking about a miles davis tune like so what they would just start playing so what and then he would kind of stop in the middle while while they were playing and just kind of talk over and be like listen to how the bass is playing off of this and the kind of beat and how it's different from what we were talking about last week uh it it was really cool it was a really really good class Mm -hmm. um anyways so in one of my classes which i i'm going to get this wrong but i believe it was called gender race and ethnicity in the media um no diversity in the media that's what it was called no it, it was specifically like something something and something in the media but it was basically everything about gender ethnicity orientation maybe like sexuality was in the name uh it was a required course for like maybe half of the majors in my college uh, like the overall college of media uh mm. but it it was essentially you know it was a really interesting class uh and we talked a lot about common media and it gave me actually a lot of the tools i use nowadays when i just think about pop culture and the way that we interpret things and looking at things through different lenses like we watched uh bam is it bamboozled i think is what it is the the um it's a spike lee movie i want to say i'm getting i'm probably getting so much wrong it is it's been years since this class but we talked a lot about just different ways that people are portrayed in the media and for our final uh i don't remember what we presented for our final but i will always remember that another group in the class uh the blurred lines like the song blurred lines had just come Mm -hmm. out and Mm -hmm. those of you at that time they remember that there was a censored version or a clean version of that video and an uncut version of that video and the only difference between these videos like they were very much the same video same dance moves and everything but one of them the the models that were all in the video the female models were all topless and then the other one they were all kind of wearing like lingerie or other like skimpy clothing Mm. we watched both of them in class in, at this 8 a.m. class in the middle of a Thursday with very little warning from this group, they kind of just went up and they were like, so let's talk about Blurred Lines. And then they started playing the uncensored version of the video right away. and well, No context. Yeah. And, and up to this point, like another plus I will give to this professor and this general class was that they said up front, you know, you can see everything that is in the syllabus we were talking about if there is a certain day that you feel you would rather just read the notes and not come into class for a discussion of a certain topic, talk to me. I'm willing to work with you on that. And if at any point during the class you feel you are uncomfortable and you would like to leave, uh, feel free to do so. Like he, he did a great job of fostering like an open air of discussion and honest questioning and stuff like that, that I felt was very refreshing uh, from a, from a professor but that was one of those moments because when you've had like an entire semester like that and then someone just jumps in there and they're just like hey guess what boobs <laughs> like eight mm-hmm. in the morning you're just like whoa <laughs> and it was it was a very like they turned it into a very good presentation that was about that conception of what is and is not considered presentable in public and things like that um the different like the fact that the female form was different between the versions the the men's clothing never changed the way that the men acted in the video like it was a very good presentation uh but man i will always i'll never forget that like i will carry that with me to my grave just like let's talk about blurred lines yeah (laughs) (laughs) i I swear to god we'll talk about math effect at some point but did you 
what is your experience with the Howard Stern show? Anything whatsoever? Uh, I know of it. I have never actually... I don't think I've ever actually seen a segment of it. I think at some point in my life, I might have watched like 30 minutes of the Howard Stern... There's like a movie about him, right? Because I feel like it was on VH1 or something back when Probably. I used to watch VH1. Uh, and that is literally about all I know of Howard Stern. Well, one of, in my, like, the equivalent class that I was in, it was called Diversity in the Media, like, where everyone had to do, like, presentations on, like, different, like, pieces of media and, like, how it represented certain people. Like, I, my, that was, like, the very end of last year, and, like, I was playing, replaying Dragon Age Inquisition, so I went in and I did my presentation on uh, um, the D- Dorian side quest and that whole mm, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, and then this other dude comes in with a clip from the Howard Stern show with this interview with this entertainer called Beetlejuice. Um, and it's like, he's this like super profane dude that's on there just like talking about like, I mean, this this show's not normally this, not not safe work, it's like talking about like coming on women and shit like that. And oh, okay. it, it like went on for like 10 to 15 minutes straight and I left in the middle of class because like, I worked at the same time and I already worked it out with my professor that I was going to leave in the middle of our class every Thursday. And when I got back the next day, everyone told me that the way that that basically turned out was like... Because like, I assumed at the time that it was supposed to be like showing how this show sort of exploited this guy who seemed to have like some sort of like disabilities or something to like basically like make a spectacle of him. Oh, yeah. But the entire but like he was like no it's just like a modern day freak show like that was like his that was his mm. that was his bottom line to it and apparently like maybe like two minutes after I had left somebody was like okay this is enough can we please move on cause like yeah cause so with my case like we didn't watch the whole I, I should be clear we didn't watch the whole Blurred Lines video we maybe watched like a minute of it and then they were like okay now let's watch the the quote-unquote clean version and we watched like a minute of that to kind of compare and contrast we not watched the whole thing all the way through god i can't oh i can't imagine like just sitting there watching that that sounds literally like if you want to you want to feel what it feels like to sink into your chair until it's no more that was that i wish i could remember to to read the room yeah seriously uh yeah today of all days uh yeah it's I, I wish I could remember what we presented on because I remember liking it, but the only presentation I remember giving in college was about like the postmodern text of Skyfall on the James Bond universe. That was which, very specific. Yeah, I mean, I look in in college, I was really into postmodernism. I, I took like one course in my sophomore year that was about postmodern American literature, and mm. it just like sent me off, and I was just like reading. Thomas Pynchon and I was reading uh, Cormac McCarthy and stuff like that. Like very, I was very into that stuff for a little while. Uh, yeah, I not give a lot e- of not so much anymore. I give a lot of presentations in like my very like the last bit of college where it was in the more high end media journalism classes. Mm-hmm. And a couple of those were games. Like I did do, I gave a presentation on Overwatch at the very end. I gave a long conversation or long presentation on Guardians of the Galaxy too. And yeah, mm-hmm. <sighs> I, I, you ever I think missed a little bit i'm not gonna lie like a little bit if anything just the idea that i got to spend every day learning something new is something that i miss because mm-hmm. like learning something new and learning it around other people who are enthusiastic about it i mean like i 
I feel like we've had this conversation before, Ken, but like one of the most exciting things in this industry, uh, writing about games and things like that, especially when you're at events like E3, is that you're doing something and you're doing it with like purpose and you're doing mm-hmm. it very um you know you're trying to like do the best job you can and all that but you're surrounded by people who share that right. same passion and i mean it is fucking isolating being freelancers or oh, God, you know, people that yeah. work remote and like you don't see people looking for like maybe two or three times a year mm-hmm. and yeah. and to have like to have that around you is just the most invigorating mm-hmm. feeling you know it, it like it makes up for a lot of other crap that happens when you're just like you said you know you're working remote you're working freelance you're like oh i'm just kind of out here on an island but you have that moment where you're surrounded by people who are passionate about what they're doing and that passion feeds you you like i didn't burn out as much uh like people who have listened to you and i podcast together for a long time know that mm-hmm. like I've, I've talked about staying up overnight to work on uh shows and projects and stuff like that and just not caring because I was around people who cared as much as I did about making something awesome. So, but that level of criticism too is like super important. It's like what, I think it's what brought us here to want to do this with mass effects. Um, and I'm kind of glad now that we have somehow spiraled into that framing of this episode, because I feel like as we set up in our last episode, uh, this is kind of the point where I start to see a lot of the things that Andromeda does not do well for me. Mm. Uh, and especially contained within two of these worlds that we're going to go to. Uh, so to kind of frame this all up, we have just left EOS. We have done some things. We have talked on the 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 Nexus to some folks. Do we want to talk a little bit about the actual like discussions we have on the Nexus before yeah, we go to where we're going. We should probably check in with Tan and Addison and Kandros so, and Cash. The the first thing I remember when we get back to the Nexus is definitely like as you mentioned, there's more people here. There's it's kind of bustling. It feels more like the Citadel, which is cool. Yeah. Um and that's great. But like immediately the first thing I I saw when I got back to the Nexus after EOS was the protesters. Uh mm. and they were angry that I had opened a science outpost because their families were all military and because the science outpost got opened, their families got bumped down further on like the docket to get unfrozen from cryo. And not only that, but they were also assigned to different areas because their needs were needed elsewhere. And uh, as much as I can see the gameplay turning in that, where I was like, okay, if I pick military, then the science families are going to be angry at me. Uh, I, I like that because it feels like this immediate response to choices that you've made, Mm -hmm. which is kind of one thing that mass effects, when we talk about Mass Effect 2 and things like that, I've, it felt like we were always looking ahead, like way right. far ahead to the suicide mission. And even in this game, as I've begun to slowly learn as we've gotten into some of these things here, there is kind of an end point where some of these choices are going to pan out in certain ways. Mm. But I feel like Andromeda is actually more about the immediate ramifications and right. just, you know, you're you're not dealing with the long term. You're dealing with the day-to-day because you're trying to survive. And so when you settle this thing there are people instantly mad at you and not only instantly mad they're organizing and they're coming together and they're they're coming to you and getting mad at you 
so I know you don't you don't have it here on um on your list as far as your notes go, but I just wanted to bring it up because that's uh I this was when it came up organically for me. Uh yeah. did you side with them? Did you get the families out of cry? I did. I I mean and that just I have a big, huge fucking heart that's just gotta do everything I can, make mm-hmm. everybody feel happy. Because I just like I it's it's also just, like it's just one of the weird things that like turns me out is like these people are going to be aging like before yes. their families like mm-hmm. like that was something that occurred like I don't really know like what the timeline of the way the initiative was supposed to roll out was going to be but like imagine a time where like a son is out of cryo for so long and his parents are still in cryo like what if it gets to the point where like he's aged to a point where like they're close to the same age now like it's just, like you know that's maybe like not necessarily how anything's set to turn out but it's also just like the fear of that gets to me mm-hmm. just like i don't like knowing that people like not not the people are literally frozen in time that is just like a weird paranoia thing for me yeah it's i mean it's it's the fear of it's the fear of age it's the fear of death it's the fear of like the immortal turning of the clock that we can never fight and and the idea that somebody like someone who was 30 when they went in it could be another 30 years before they're woken mm-hmm. up and in the meantime their loved ones have aged 30 years they might have grown as people like the the thing i was thinking about was like and, and maybe a side quest addresses this maybe not but what if there are people you know falling out of love or something mm-hmm. when they're they've got you know maybe a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other of some kind in cryo but they're not getting out for 10 years and all of a sudden they're starting to fall for other people. They're trying to move on with their life because they want to have a life. They don't want to wait 10 years or possibly longer for cryo. Mm. And, and suddenly, you know, they think maybe they're going to get out and now riders like, Nope, never mind, changing the system. Like I, I think those are interesting things that come up. Uh, They've not explicitly come up in the story, but it's just stuff I think about with the, the things that are happening here. Uh, it's it's an interesting like choice. I feel it's also a good way for the game to kind of compel you to keep thinking about. Okay, I need to be settling because after this point, we already talked about it, but the settling of worlds starts to take a gradual backseat in terms of plot criticality versus the main story that we're going to start getting into here. Mm-hmm. And that was one of kind of like the friction points for me with Andromeda was eventually it does become this very mass effect story of we're careening through space and we're looking for ancient ruins and we're fighting this big enemy that's super bad and that's that's all good but i i felt like it eventually lost that heart of we're trying to find a home and we're trying to get these people settled and i never felt like the game gave me that drive to do it initially so here at least having missions like this that kind of pop up occasionally they're going hey remember there are people in cryo there are ramifications for that you need to be doing something even if it's not you know a literal mechanic where maybe your population starts you have to like manage a population meter or food meter or something like that there's really no long-term ramification for what you decide And, and for the record i decided to unfreeze those people as well uh it's still kind of a choice that feels good in the moment because it's more just defining how your rider and you engage with your task as pathfinder right. and i find that very interesting um yeah. 
there are some new places that have opened here. Uh, there's a bar. There's uh, I did not explore the cultural center much, but I did go over to the labs and talk with them. Obviously, they were thrilled with me. Science, love it. <laughs> yeah. those, are my, those are my people there. Uh, and we meet up with Tan. So, yeah. boy, Tan's taking a victory lap here. Uh, really, yay me in a way that I was like, dude, you... Uh, you didn't do shit. <laughs> like, You've been sitting uh, here cleaning up this room. I mean, like they like all the storage of it is gone too. Cause, like it was covered in boxes and stuff. Like it hadn't been moved at all. And so like you get there and you know he's like, okay, this is gonna be, we're gonna showcase what the pathfinders are doing. And he throws up EOS on the screens and he's like, this is our chance to like rally everybody around and see that we are making progress. And I was like, you want them to think that you're making progress that you're. Who's your? Yeah. Who, what did you do, friend? What did you do? It's it's really interesting because like one of the things that immediately caught me in this section was that he's you go like, hey, you know, this place looks better. He's like, yeah, welcome to Pathfinder HQ. And I was like, oh, this is Pathfinder HQ. Like mm. he's been hanging out in this luxury lounge that is meant for the Pathfinders, but he wanted the delay and you know maybe the the administrator is also supposed to have like an office there but i just kind of got the sense like it, it gave me the immediate notion of like he's already trying to hone like you know get in on my glory and yeah. take credit for things that are happening where i would even let addison take a little bit of credit because at least she put a ship on some ground but <laughs> uh tan did nothing so when at this point uh, as an argument continues to play out that I'm trying to remember the specifics of, but it's between Tan, Kesh, and Kandros. Uh, yeah, so they, they come in and they're kind of... They're arguing about the the choice that you made, whatever mm-hmm. it may have been. And then they're also kind of just getting into a power spat. It's it's a very like vague thing, and you kind of get the sense that this has been an ongoing point of contention yeah. between... If not between all three of them, then at least between Kandros and uh, Tan and probably a little bit of Addison as well. I, I always get the sense in these that Kesh is just like, I'm, I'm here to do a job. Like, yeah. Kandros a little bit too, but Kandros, especially if you've picked the science outpost, gets a little pushy because uh, he's like, I need that military power. We've got right. to establish firebase, which, dude, I get. Like, if I could have told him then, like, don't worry, next one's military, I promise. I would have done that. But uh, it does kind of set up some of the internal politics that we've been hinting at that we've been talking about and that makes this a little bit more interesting than just that unified council phase yeah we're like they were varying degrees of a dick to you mm-hmm. but they were they were always very unified which i actually did not enjoy that much at least they broke that up a little bit in mass effect 3 where you had the turian counselor coming to you and saying like hey you know i can't help you with the council but maybe you can do this uh, and I'll help you out here. And same with the Solarian counselor and the Asari counselor. They did a good job in three of making them feel like characters and not this just unified presence that pops up all the time. Uh, and here, I mean, we get right off the bat that there is internal politics. There is vying for power. And especially now that it's clear that they're not all, all going to die on the Nexus. <laughs> they're all, we might actually have a hope of establishing new colonies and new life in Andromeda and some of these people are, are going like 
okay, so now I have a chance to make my name the one in the history books. So I need to put myself in the position to where that will happen. And of course, while all this is going on, we've got the Ket, we've got the Exiles, we've got just other people that we're going to run into very soon. Like, there are other factions out there, but within Andromeda Mm. Initiative, we have this bickering going on. And so, real quick, I was like, hey, stop that. Like, uh uh-uh. I no. I didn't I didn't side with Tan. I wasn't like everybody listened to Tan. I was basically like listen to me on the Pathfinder. <laughs> like, yeah. If I gotta be the one to step in and split this up, I will. Um, right. So here I'm trying to remember the the Sarah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I was confused that you called them Sarah, not just the sibling the oh. the twin. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah, because for me it would have been... Uh, I actually forget what male writer's default name is all of a sudden. Scott. Scott Ryder? Okay. Uh, that's... I don't know. Could have worked a little bit harder on that one. Scott Ryder <laughs> sounds like the... Sounds like the name oh. of a... Like a... I don't know, 80s action film star. Like, Scott Ryder. So, Jesus Christ. So the funny thing that occurred to me... It like, occurred to me like a week after I started this game. Not for like the show, but like in general. That if I had... Because like, my brother and I were playing together... Or not together, but like he was playing at his house, so I was playing at mine. And he named his his writer his middle name, because his shepherd was named was his first name. And it occurred to me that if I had done that, I would have just had Scott Ryder. Yeah, you and Scott Ryder. <laughs> and in if you do that, if you name your character Scott or Sarah, a lot of, it's like there will be points where characters call you by your first name, just because like that's how the game is set up. Oh, so see, that's cool. I like that. So I did want to ask, what did you name your writer? Uh Ava. I, I just went again with like mm. how I used my initials as because luckily my initials also spell a a girl's name so <laughs> uh, works out that way so okay. I just did it I thought about doing A V A because that's both like a little bit different and those are my brother's initials but mm-hmm. I was like nah just just stick with E V A uh, what about you I uh, in August. Oh, I like that name. That's a good. Yeah. That's like a good futuristic name. See, Scott Ryder is like '80s action, gruff. Uh, you know, he's <laughs> he's he's the. I don't know. I'm, I, I've got this like picture in my head of like uh, Snake Plissken from Escape from New York, like <laughs> real, real gruff, eye patch little guy, Scott Ryder. But mm. uh, August Ryder, that's like futuristic space ranger going out that's to. A- to settle the galaxy that's good the galaxy and suck some dicks yeah that too gotta get that done none of that for my rider <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> at least not this time around <laughs> um oh. anyway yeah yeah it's let's go so, see our comatose sibling well hold on i'm trying to remember is there there are other games that have done that in the past right where if you have certain names it would say that name I'm trying to remember. I, I don't think I it was a... Fallout 4 did it? Yes. It, was, it had, like, a yeah. pool of names that you could pick from. And, like, I remember when I started, like, Kenneth wasn't something about it, so I had to go by Ken, which is fine, because that's what a lot of people know me by anyway. But it was just, like... They, they made... Like, it wasn't even, like, everybody in the game, but, like, there was, like, a specific character mm-hmm. that... I think it was, like, your butler. Like, your, your yeah, robot the, butler. Yeah, the mm-hmm. robo-butler that I think is around at the beginning of the game, but then you later find either another one of, or it's one that is he's like survived or something but yeah they call you by your first name and that was like yeah. the big thing like oh that's so cool it ends up getting used very little like most things will fall out for but mm. uh i can't remember if eric was one of those i but feel I like thought, a, I, I thought that was that's a, really a name cool that idea. i feel like would be in it 
See, you would think, but there's not a lot of Eric's out there. If you really? stop and think about it, how, like how many like how many Eric's do you know? Like that are like near and dear to me. I I mean like or just generally in, in general. I mean a few at least. I like I have two close friends that are named Eric, so I assume that okay. I was assumed that that was like a fairly common thing. Okay, so there's like a glut of Eric's in in the, the eastern south then i guess so. here here in the the great state of texas uh not as many erics <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. Okay. uh yeah it's there you go uh i i think i've maybe ran into two others growing up i know one for sure because i i didn't like him and he didn't like me mm. uh, like they're kind of with you one well, I mean, it started out as kind of a playful thing like that, and then just turned into he was kind of not cool to be around. He was kind mm-hmm. of a he's kind of a skis ball a little bit, from what I remember. Right. This is like hazy memories. I'm sorry if you're listening to this other Eric and you have a different opinion on this. It's just what I remember from high school when we were all dicks. So, um, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> you ever yeah. have that moment where you like look back on high school and like, wow, we were all terrible. We were just all horrible human beings <laughs> every <laughs> fucking day. <laughs> and I've been atoning for it ever since. Speaking of atonement, let's go and make contact with our comatose sibling <laughs> in in the med bay, uh, which we have now found that because of the link to Sam that uh, our that we have, our sibling also has, and because of that, we can do magic telepathy with our sibling who is currently comatose. And but wait, this was a really surprisingly emotional scene. No. Uh, I, I did not expect this. I don't know. I might have actually skipped this the first time I played because I think I might have just gotten sidetracked and then never gone back to do it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you have moments where you can... Basically, you're, you're giving kind of two options, like two things that, that you can either tell the truth on or lie about. Uh, you know, it, it, the general idea is that lying to them would reassure them whereas mm-hmm. telling them the truth would upset them and possibly make their condition worse uh so it looks like now i'm reading your note here uh you and i did the exact same thing which is told the truth thing. about yeah told the truth about dad because that's one of those things that's like in tv shows where a character is like oh yeah dad's fine and later on they wake up and find out from somebody else and they come and find you they're like why'd you lie to me like no i'm not about that life i tell them the truth i'd want because i'd want somebody to tell me the truth right uh but i did say that we found home because well a by that point we'd found eos so like you know nuance but (laughs) um you know it's I, I, I fully believe that by the time they are awake, we will have yeah. made that. And I also feel like if I had a twin and they were thinking as a twin does for someone, uh, that and obviously you have way more insight into this than I do. Um, <laughs> but I, I I feel like that would be the same thing that a twin would say to me. But as you are, you are a twin, correct? I am a twin. Yes. Yeah. I always, always forget whether it's identical twins or the other kind of twin. We, but you are, you are identical twins. We are identical. We don't. We're, we we do now that we both have shaved heads. We're bald because our fucking jeans. <laughs> but at the time, like for a long time, we did not look like anything alike. So people were like, "You look related, but you don't look like twins." So yeah, we are identical twins. 
And so, like, and because of that, like, we do kind of operate on the same wavelength of like, like, if there's like bad news to give, I ask my brother to give it to me because he's the one that's gonna give it to me and not like expect a different kind of reaction than what he would give. Mm-hmm. And so like, I get that sort of connection that they're going for here. And I, I, I was the same. Took, I came from it the same way you did, and I was like, I can tell her her the truth about dad, and I can tell her that oh, you know, home's great, and we found it, it's great because. One of those things can be fixed, one of them cannot. Right. And and it's something that, like, even if I woke up and I found out, like, oh, yeah, you know, Habitat 7 sucks, but we've been establishing outposts elsewhere, I'd be yeah. like, okay, they're just trying to keep my hopes up. Like, I'm going to go help yeah. them now. Like, yeah. Uh, I obviously do not have a twin, but my, my dad is is a twin. Uh, mm. So I, I've actually talked to him just recently about what that is like. I was... And completely unrelated to Andromeda too. I even forgot why we were talking about it, but I'd been asking him about it. So, um, shout out to my dad. He doesn't listen to this podcast. It was it was really sweet the other day. He told me that like I I appeared on Acts of the Blood God, which is US Gamers role playing game podcast. Shout outs to them. Uh, shout outs to my current employer. But um, he was like, oh, I listened to your appearance on that. It was really good. And I was like, really? It was about oh. romance and RPGs. You listened to it? He's like, yeah, you were really good on it. And I was like. Oh, thanks. And he was like, "But I can't listen to Normandy FM." And I was like, "Dad, I, would, I don't expect you to." He's like, I've ne- "I'm sorry." He's like, "I'm sorry. I've never played the games. I just wouldn't understand anything." I was like, "Dad, I didn't expect you to listen to anything I do." <laughs> uh, my uh, my sister who lives in Hawaii was visiting recently with uh, my nephew, and it was you know we were recording. It would have been the finale or the Mass Effect Three finale at that point. And I was like, "Yeah, this is kind of like gonna be a, like I'm gonna be." indisposed for a little bit so you know kind of keep it keep it down and so my sister asked her like what is it that you do exactly and she's like i was like oh that's this retrospective on this game that i like and they know what mass effect is like just yeah. from right it's like the thing that it, i've always loved for as long as i have and she's like well like what is it on like do, where do people listen to it and i was like oh it's on like itunes spotify and everything and she's like wait you're telling me i could listen to your podcast right now and i was like i mean if you really wanted to and she's like send it to me and i was like okay i don't think you're gonna know what we're talking about but it, here you go yeah you know family's pretty good sometimes family's good like that it's, it's oh, always here's nice to the, support each other on, on that note as well like a funny thing that happened my nephew is nine and <laughs> he is like he loves video games like the entire time we was here i got him hooked on overwatch sent him good, home with copy good. for his birthday and he was told like he was told you know don't go into kenneth's room because he's in the middle of doing this thing and he got like so excited about it because like he watches things on YouTube so like it's not you know the same but it's like adjacent so he understands like I am making content about video games that will go on the internet and then later he asked me a little bit about it and I was like oh you know I'm just talking about this series you can't play it yet because you're too young but maybe one day and then he's like are you famous and I was like absolutely not (laughs) (laughs) no dude you say yes (laughs) look well I don't want him to go to be like well I mean maybe he'll go to like these some kids over when he gets back home to exactly like, my that's uncle a- make, has a podcast on the internet and he makes money off of it that's how you start the groundswell ken we gotta get this name out there to the people they gotta i don't know. think nine-year-olds are gonna need i don't think nine-year-olds need to be here in a mass we have a potentially untapped demographic of hawaiian nine-year-olds that we could easily have gotten at that is you know how hard that demographic is to reach we we had I just an opportunity talked about sucking space stick i don't think anyone needs to hear that well, much we'll less start, my nephew we'll start doing a clean podcast then from this moment forth after we talk about pb and vetra we'll start to, we'll start doing a clean <laughs> podcast 
Um, oh my! Ginny's not allowed on anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. She, I think we have plans in the work to have her on later this season. I, I believe. I, I believe she might be on later on the season for one very special episode. So I'm looking forward to that. We, we are in the plans to, uh, to have more guests on for for the last couple episodes. It's just been kenneth and myself but uh i'm double checking our schedule now just while i'm thinking about it to see and yeah no as as soon as the end of september we will possibly definitely be having people on to talk more andromeda so that's your teaser there will be more thirsty guests sorry sorry hawaiian nine-year-olds this is still rated (laughs) m for mackin (laughs) oh boy anyway so anyways uh now that we've got the family stuff settled got that out of the way we gotta head off to do we know that it is called aya at this point i remember it was just like the waypoints uh because we we... aren't yeah like we aren't going there for what we end up doing here is not what we came here to do exactly yeah we we basically found where the Wi-Fi router is at, and we want to go to where the router is. Uh, we found mm. the Wi-Fi hubs. Now we want to go to the router <laughs> to use the Wi-Fi analogy from last episode again. Uh, We're looking as- for another remnant vault. Right. And as we are headed there, we suddenly realize we have run into an ambush of sorts. Uh, the Archon has shown up, which, again, we do not know at this point that they are called the Archon, but the Ket show up, and there's one really big bad ship, and we are pinned against the Scourge, the the evil space vines and stuff, uh, with that on one side and the Ket surrounding us on the other. Uh, and this was the part that really reminded me of Star Trek, in a way, because not only do you have the great talking uh, to the captain on the other mm. ship sort of thing, very Star Trek-y. Uh, with the vids, the vid screens and all that, which yeah. was very different compared to, I mean, I don't think we ever had that in Mass Effect, no, where no, you're no. doing that with an enemy ship. Uh, I mean, you did have vidcom and stuff, but you never had this great little picture-in-picture screen standing on the helm, like talking to each other, and she's trying to, you know, well, in my case, she uh, Ryder is trying to negotiate while going to the pilot, like what options do we have? Like, I'm stalling. Yeah. What what can we do? Like, it's a great moment of tension that is then heightened by, as you know, the fact that all of our crew is on deck. They are all up there. It's it's the whole crowd. Uh, it's, it's great to, again, get a reminder that, hey, you know, they don't just sit in their rooms for, for all yeah. this. Yeah. I didn't want to ask, like, so this is something that I noticed. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I was playing something for next week's episode just before we recorded this mm-hmm. and in Dragon Age 2 they did a thing where like okay so that game ha- that game's dialogue options had sort of like you know the nice the sarcastic and the asshole like mm-hmm. it was like these three like different types of dialogue and so Andromeda kind of leans in on that as well where it's more like you know the, the emotional or the hard ass kind of person and in Dragon Age 2 it did a thing where like certain like certain exchanges were colored by which one ever you picked the most, like kind of like defining a character. Are you talking about romances and rival mances? Well, that that, but also just generally like your 
like Hawk had a distinct personality depending on which one of those oh, you chose most. Oh, yeah, yeah, So the more that you chose certain responses, the more your Hawk would just change their dialogue over time to yeah. do... God, Dragon Age 2 was way better than we gave it credit for. I'm not yeah. saying it's a great game, but man, it had really good ideas that I even feel like Inquisition never kept up with. Boy. Yeah, so it occurred to me that, because like, there were some points in that mission that I was talking about that my writer made, like, kind of like the the jokey, lighthearted response. And I didn't know if uh, maybe your writer was kind of giving more, like, the more aggressive things. Because, mm-hmm. like, in this part where the Archon is, like, staring us down, uh, Sam says uh, something along the lines of, like, Pathfinder, they're scanning us. And the writer just goes, well, scan them back! Like, yeah, no, mine you know, definitely said that. 100%. Okay. I wonder, like, I wonder if that's, if that becomes a thing at any point in the game, that they really, like, hone in on the sort of the personality you've been shaping. Because, like, you go into the codex and you can go to uh, Lexi's, like, psych profile of you, and it, like, even keeps track of, like, the amount of times you picked any kind of dialogue choice. So, like, I wonder oh, if man. it does inform it the same way that Dragon Oh, I didn't need did. to know that. I didn't need to know that. Now I'm just going to be watching that all the time, like, keeping my, keeping my stats. Oh, man. uh no like my rider and also i feel like i started out very renegade-y but now i'm kind of leaning towards like sarcastic hawk in a way Mm -hmm. which is Mm -hmm. like genuinely of all the bioware protagonist archetypes i've played in any of their games sarcastic hawk was the closest to the way that i want to play a role-playing game character right um you know, someone who is not necessarily, like, Paragon or Renegade, kind of in the middle, but always kind of like, oh, hey, what are you going to do? And stuff like that. Being reluctantly dragged into saving the galaxy rather than taking the initiative to do so. Um, and so with my rider is kind of trending that way as well, with a little bit mm-hmm. more Renegade flavored in. Uh, but I will say that I, I have had a lot of those, like, snappy comeback lines, and in general I've been very surprised that rider just kind of feels i don't want to say like saturday morning cartoon ish but it feels very mcu that's where like where i've always yes yeah it is which is is fine like i mean mcu dialogue 100 percent. which is fine because i mean i I love those movies work most of them some of them and it it is like you know it is a nice change of pace from the absolute buzzkill that was mass effect 3 yeah and and the fact that you have a character that can add a little bit of levity and it is your character that is that levity as mm-hmm. well like there's just all the kind of when we were talking about citadel and how there was yeah. just a lot of really clever writing in there where they were playing off of the archetypes and uh you know having like i think constantly now about the shepherd and grunt part where Shepard's just very <laughs> stern and like, what were you doing? And Grunt was yeah. like, whoa, well, things happen. There's a lot of that heart and soul in in the writing in this game. And so I, I'm not surprised to see more of that because it was like, not only was it very effective in Citadel and done very well, but it I think it overall just kind of gives you more of a sense that you're a crew that's having good, you know, it's yeah. more Guardians of the Galaxy than Star yeah. Trek. And right. that I'm pretty okay with as as yeah. would be obvious here you and i have done that uh marvel movie ranking like what every time a new marvel movie has come out you gotta keep up to, up to date i don't think we've done one since far from home came out though mm. i if not i mean i already know that i would probably rank far from home pretty high but not at the top i don't think it beats my top three yeah, same, but same. well it's maybe homecoming but i don't know um 
but Black Panther and Winter Soldier still up there. Uh, love those movies. And for you, it's like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Yeah, Black, yeah. Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy too. Yeah, um, good movies. There's they're good, good movies. movies. Uh huh. You know, it's not a good movie. Infinity mm-hmm. War didn't like it. Sorry, that's fucked up. It's, I thought. Endgame what mean? Did was... you like Endgame? Yeah, I liked Endgame. Well, I thought they're I... the same movie. They're one movie. Yeah, but. In that sense, like I always end up not liking the first half of the two-parter movies because I'm like, why don't you just give me one long movie? I'll watch one long movie. I don't care. Like people will watch one long movie. Yeah, I, I, if they are gonna make them like two movies, like maybe just release them at the same time. I, I think we need to bring back the intermission. I think that's what has to happen. I think you got to bring back the intermission and just do long movies, like you do for plays and stuff like that. I, I'd, I'd mm-hmm. be down for that. I've seen plays. I enjoy plays. Intermission's yeah. a nice little thing. You get to get up, stretch a little bit, go to the bathroom, get a snack. There's no pressure. You're not like, oh, when's the best time to go? Like, you don't have to have an app for when the best time to pee during a movie is. That's which so is fucking... just ridiculous. Granted, there's also a part of me that's like, y'all are a bunch of big fucking babies. You could like, I go to the movies like three times a week, so like, just stop making such everything a huge fucking deal. Kenneth Bladder of Steel over here. Hell yeah. <laughs> God, this is one of the longest episodes that we have to talk about content-wise, and we keep getting sidetracked. We're Um, almost an hour in. Oh, God, we are. And we haven't, like, we haven't gotten to the actual thing that we're here to talk about. All right, focus. Focus. Um, This is what happens when we record two podcasts in a row. We we recorded yesterday, and we're recording today because I'm going to PAX this weekend, so this will be happening, like, this episode will be going up after I've already come back from PAX and everything. It's great. Um, So we get through the scourge, thanks to Sam and our awesome pilot, Callow, who's just, like, a total badass, uh, gets his shining moment of being a cool pilot, uh, and we arrive at Aya, uh, which we touch down on because we're like, hey, you know, flying through the scourge probably was not great for our ship there's probably a little bit of damage we should get it checked out and there's a planet we can set down on and now we get to have second first contact with we got uh, these alien ships around us that are like telling us mm-hmm. get the fuck down yeah and so this is kind of an interesting segment so let's start by talking about aya which is very different from all the planets we've been to which is that it is still inhabitable is very livable it's lush it's verdant there's fauna and flora everywhere uh it's very different from the wastelands that we have encountered so far so that sets up like a very you know it juxtaposes that versus eos very well um but the other sort of interesting thing here is we're introduced to a new race and right off the bat i was kind of like why can they speak english did they address that they scan Ryder at the beginning, and I figured that was supposed to be, like, the equivalent of, like, making a translator the way that they do in the series. Because, like, they have that, like, th- they mention it throughout that, like, they have to outfit everybody else with translators. And, like, kind of... Because, like, that is, like, the thing in the Mass Effect series, like, why all these different alien species can understand each other is that they each have uh, these translators in, so... But now I badly want, like, the, the video that shows me what asari speech actually sounds like or what turian speech <laughs> sounds like how is that different from human speech and stuff like that i mean we only really get that with the cat and angara because we are in a new place that we don't have these languages like installed in our translators so mm-hmm. you get very brief exchanges from them and also like here's so here's one thing that i do really want to bring up with the angara that i really enjoyed that i felt like we haven't 
had a lot of in the Mass Effect series, uh, especially with like two and three, because they didn't have a lot of new uh, species to introduce. Like the Drell is probably the only one I can think of that was very fresh, and that was in two through uh, Thane. But here, I really like that when as we talk with the Angaran, you you already kind of get the sense that you're learning. Okay, like here is what male Angaran look like. Here's what no. female Angaran look like. This is what their their dress is. This is how they differ in physiological, like, just the minor things, like things that we would call, like, skin color, hair color, uh, size, stature, that sort of thing. Like, this is where their differences are. Like, that's always really interesting. But also, we get some of their idioms through their speech, the way that they say things like, uh, I think it's storms and, and things like that. Uh, it's I, I like having that because it does at, at some point feel like a translator struggling to contextualize right. speech in a way that we would interpret it. Because mm-hmm. if, if there's one thing that I love and I think it's overly just beaten to death in the game sphere in a bad way is the idea of translation versus localization and right. the idea of translating something literally but also keeping the meaning intact and i think Mm. there's so many games that do this so well like the yakuza series is an incredible example of localization uh recent fire emblem games as well and you have like bad examples as well where either they just do like there's the infamous one from phoenix right where they're like let's go have cheeseburgers and and things like that uh where they just very much go okay what's the what's the american equivalent of a common food that we can go eat um but there's also like ones that are just very literal and overuse like idioms that just don't make sense here and things like that. I get mm-hmm. like language is super interesting to me. Uh, yeah. And that is the part I grabbed onto the most with the Angarans is just listening to the way that they speak and how it differs mm-hmm. from English because you know, again, I might be projecting onto this a little bit, but I think there was some actual care put into the idea of what would their speech sound like put through a, like a literal translator and then spat out back into English and how, like what would be the weird idiosyncrasies that would develop because of that. And you can even question some of the characters here uh, in Jal later on after, after he has joined and things like that, where you can kind of question, you know, like, why do you say this sort of thing? Or when you refer to this, like, what do you mean? And characters right. in your, uh, in the nomad, as they're talking with each other, will kind of ask questions like that as well. I think that's a really yeah. interesting thing. Like, right. it, it makes me feel that Mass Effect feeling where the first time you meet an Elcor or a Hanar and you're just like, mm. oh, this is so cool. Like, they're just completely different. Like, uh, yeah. so I really so, like, like the Angaran. I really like them. So, like, did you end up doing that uh, armor thing that I told you about? The Liam's armor thing, no, but I yeah. did read your okay. notes on it. <laughs> okay. We'll we'll touch on that again later because like it, it goes into what you're talking about now, which I think is you know a very cool thing that they have to address, and like that I I was glad that they actually made a point to like have like a dedicated scene to talk about that mm-hmm. instead of just kind of like it being something we have to like read into based on the way people were talking. But um, I gotta say, as much as I like I like, you know just kind of think about it, like I love the Angaran culture, I love like the things we talked to y'all about and the things that we're gonna learn about them throughout the whole game. I am not a fan of their design. Hmm. Why is that? It, it, so, like, the way that they kind of differentiate male and female is that, like, females have, like, these kind of, like, more bug-eyed sort of, like, very round yeah. features. Mm-hmm. And 
that like in itself like is a little unnerving looking to me. And you know, it's, I'm not saying that aliens need to look like attractive or human, but it's just like that they look so drastically different from the males, which is weird to me. I think, I, I mean, I'm just going to come out and say it that I think the I do agree with you that is a little unsettling in the fact that it feels like a humanized version of what feminine versus masculine should look like is being applied to an alien mm-hmm. race. Almost like I had kind of the same thing with Avatar, the the James Cameron movie, where I was yeah. like, or I mean, heck, I had this recently with the CGI trailer for Cats, where I was like, why does the cat have to have like a human woman body and the, the guy has to have a man human body like i get mm. that part of you know part of cats is that it was people dressed as cats and so that's like the quirky aspect of it but i that's what i think about when i see that sort of thing because i'm going like okay like why do they have that that's not what a real female or male cat looks like right. and that's like what a human version of male and female and like even even then like the pre the predisposition we have of what those things look like and so there is an element of that where I actually didn't realize at first. I was like, how am I supposed to tell who's male and who's female? And as I talked to Maureen Garns, I was like, oh, okay. They yeah. clearly, like, the guys all have the very stern, like, Jal has his own look, but all the other male and Garns kind of fall under one archetype, and then all the females fall under another archetype. And I was kind of like, I, you know, considering in this game we have Kesh, who is very much, like, that's a female Krogan, but very much, like, does not have feminine features in any way. Even right. even Vetra, um, yeah, you and, know, and the female some... female Turians still look very Turian. They just have, right. like, slightly different features. I think their thing is, like, the horns on the back are different, is, is Turian, but... Yeah, like, the white women don't have the, uh, like, sort of, like, flicked back spikes on the top of their head yeah and like i think that's an that's a more interesting way of, or, or do something like the asari where they're just monogender and mm. y- and you can get into weird stuff like that. Or i think the hanar are the same and there's a lot of interesting areas to explore so i think in that respect it is kind of a bummer that we just kind of went back to like okay here's male angar and female angar and there we go yeah and another thing that kind of like is weird to me is like they're all kind of same face and yeah you know not to say that like salarians look very distinct like distinguished from one another but like there are usually like features to sort of because like jaw is the only one that we really get with that like that character looks very distinguished from everyone mm-hmm. else and the moshai who we'll meet in the next episode look very much different from everybody else but everyone else is kind of like has the same face and they sort of like just palette swap things and granted like there might be some lore explanations for that that we can get into later in the show but I don't know it's just like it's a, it's a they are like the key new race in this game to see something that kind of like they all look the same just kind of let me down a little bit let me let me pose this to you Javik was kind of the shepherd of the Prothean mm-hmm. race when uh, he joined us. Do you feel like there's an analogy to be made here that the Angarans are like the humans of the Andromeda galaxy and Jal is very much their shepherd or their rider? Yeah, I could see that because like, if, even if it wasn't for the uh, stuff that he does like in the game with Ryder, he already is like in a position of like notoriety and like people mm-hmm. look to him for guidance and leadership. I guess I also bring up the human aspect. I, and granted, we might getting, be getting ahead of ourselves here talking about Jal already, but 
Um, we meet him pretty quick here anyways. Uh, the reason why I was thinking about Angarans in the context of being the humans in Andromeda is you have those ideas of the species that evolved to the point that they were the higher uh, like order in the food pyramid, basically. They were higher up mm-hmm. on the evolutionary chain. It, the The races that would then eventually get culled by the Reapers all kind of tended to follow the same evolutionary path they would all be bipedal they would all be um you know have dexterity in their extremities you know have fingers and stuff so they could operate complex tools and so there there is some like theorizing there as to like yeah naturally the angarans would evolve in a way that might veer similar to humanity or to turians or to other things like that uh that you could draw on here but yeah again like you know the Asari aren't like that, so the the Krogan cosmetically are not like that. So uh, it's yeah, I, I like the Angaran, and I also understand like why it could be a little bit disappointing, like who they are as a species, uh, as as a concept. Um, I mean that is at least better than the Ket, who kind of just are the Ket. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure I say this. Again, not having any foresight here, I'm sure we will find some reason for why the Ket are the way they are. Just a quick question. Have you played the mission for next week? No. Okay. No. I right. was planning on doing that once I got back from PAX. Okay. I just uh, wanted to touch on that and find out. Okay. Know. Possibly we could learn things next mm-hmm. week that might affect that. Maybe so. I've, I've not gone to rescue any Moshe yet, so... Well, we we don't even know who the Moshi is yet because yeah, we gotta, what's a Moshi? We gotta we gotta walk around. We gotta talk with the governor of Aya as we kind of walk through the crowd and discuss things that are going on, which is a cool little moment here where, yeah. you know, you get all these people kind of freaking out because they're like, oh, what's going on? Like, oh, ooh, um, something fun that I did because I was like, man, look at all this technology at one point. So I pulled out my scanner. Have you done that on this part? Not here, no. Oh my god, dude. So you, if you pull out your scanner while you're walking around, like, five laser sights immediately pop up on Ryder. <laughs> and they're like, put it down, put it down! And and she's like, no, no, it's just a scanner, and I promise. And they're like, we don't care, put it away. <laughs> like, it's a, It was a really, it freaked me out when I did it, because I was just yeah. like, oh hey, I'm going to scan this to get research credits, and oh, yeah. it pays off really well. It was, I was like, that's yeah. a nice little touch. Thank you. It's like that first contact scene on uh-huh. Fallout Seven, where yes. it gives you, cause like, if it gives you the agency, it has sort of like ways that they can play with it more than just the cutscene and a dialogue. Uh-huh. Which we can't pull a gun out here because we walk off the ship, like basically in our casual wear, our ship wear. So we mm. don't have any guns, we don't have our armor or anything. Uh, and and to be clear, we have walked off the Tempest. We are getting escorted around the city of Aya by the governor and some armed guards, while the rest of our ship waits, pa- or the rest of our crew waits patiently on the ship. Uh, and as we gradually learn, we are being taken to meet Ephra, who is kind of in charge of everything here. Um, Leader of the resistance. Yes. So this is the part where I start to get kind of factions within the Angara mixed up because it took me a while to figure out that there's a difference between the resistance and the actual Angaran community and government and stuff. So... Mm. As, as I understand it, and I'm, I'm happy to have you correct me, this is just my interpretation so far, um, the Angaran Resistance is essentially the military faction 
of the Angara, but mm-hmm. it is not the official military faction. Like, it's not a branch of right. the government. It is just a resistance movement that has sprung up that the government is cooperating with. Because the resistance is not against the government of the Angara, it's against the Ket, who are the mm-hmm. invaders. And so, like, the comparison I would draw here is it's like the Revolutionary Army before, you know, the Declaration of Independence Mm -hmm. and all that. Like, before war was officially declared between the colonies and Britain, this is like that. These are the the revolutionaries. They're not necessarily, you know, they might be politically affiliated and have members who are within the government of, you know, whatever state it is. But this is not necessarily an official branch of some established uh hierarchy right. or bureaucracy so uh is that is that about right yeah you got it. oh okay good yeah i'm 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 getting the references here i'm getting it i'm keeping up I'm, I'm keeping I, I roll with the punches uh so as we're going here uh as as we we head towards ephra we meet jaw and jaw has a really good intro uh mm-hmm. i like his a lot because he's basically giving tips to this this newbie sort of this very green resistance member he's going like you know yeah. do this you keep up very like very much as i mentioned earlier i felt early on that jaw was like okay this is the shepherd this is this is mm-hmm. the person of of the angara this is the go-to guy uh but he's also got an air of like skepticism i guess i would say like he definitely he shows up he's not trustful of you you know he's he's wary of your presence also i love that the guy tries to walk off with his rifle and he's like nah nah, that's my rifle (laughs) bring it back uh i thought that was a nice little touch but yeah uh you know jaw kind of decides that he's going to come along to this meeting with uh with ephra with the governor and that's probably a good thing because Ephra is not pretty wild about us showing up. Absolutely uh, not. You know, they haven't had the last first contact they had was with the Ket, and mm-hmm. that obviously did not go well. So we it's kind of on us to convince him that we are here to do good. We are here to help, we are here mm-hmm. to cooperate. I, I very much was like I, I come in peace. I'm not here to create right. conflict. Uh, I want to destroy the cat as much as you do, which I, I try to be wary on because I think there is also the fear there that if somebody shows up and they're immediately like, I want to destroy the conquering invaders, there is that inherent danger of, oh, you're just another conquering invader that's getting right. rid of the competition. Uh, but I understood, I understood kind of where the situation was at and and why it kind of resolves the way it does uh i thought this yeah. was a very interesting way like compared to the first contact we had before which is very much like you know we couldn't talk to the cat we could only really gesture and they were not interested in any level of discussion with us or mm-hmm. negotiation like i felt like this one went better it went it went about as well as you could hope right <laughs> yeah I mean, even if it still ends up like there's still that skepticism, which I mean, it's granted, it's earned for everyone involved. Because like, I even was like, I might have been a little too eager to try and move things along. Because I was like, how can I help you with the situation mm-hmm. you're in? And Ephraim's mm-hmm. immediately like, I don't want your fucking help. We were like, I don't even know you. What are you even talking about? And I was like, okay, fine, fair. That's 
that makes sense it's uh and, and and really like the reason we're here is to get into the vault you know we're here for somewhat selfish reasons as well and at some point Ephra, you know kind of calls that out he's like you're just you just want to get into the vault like yeah. why should i help you do that we, that doesn't help us at all not that we know and so eventually we, we kind of reach we kind of reach a compromise which is that uh if we help Ephra with some of the things that are going wrong in angaran space he might be more willing to give us the information we need to get into the vault on Aya and try and find what we're looking for. Um, and and that mainly centers around the Moshai, uh, who, is, who is an elder, uh, obviously cool enough to get a nickname, <laughs> uh, who knows about the vault, but who is abducted by the cat. And... You know, we can kind of. I did this as well. I, I volunteered to to Springer from Ket Jail, and he's like, Dude, "I don't need your. I, I got this. Like, don't interfere in our conflict." Yeah. Uh, but eventually, you're kind of like, "Okay, let me earn your trust. Then let me go help with some other stuff, and then, uh, you know, maybe we can help out with the larger things as well." Uh, and and Jal says he's going to come with us as liaison, and also to. I, I got like some very um oh I forgot his name the Mass Effect one Spectre that dies in the first mission oh man Nihilus Nihilus yeah I got like a Nihilus five here where he's like I'm going to also you know, assess you and and keep keep uh, Ephra apprised of of you as both a trustworthy diplomat and as a warrior because again like the Angara also seem like the idea of you know, being a good warrior, especially with the resistance, is valuable. So letting Ephra know that it's, we it's, can... it's definitely ingrained in their culture. Yeah, like letting Ephra know that we can talk the talk and walk the walk is a good thing. Uh and one other thing we haven't noted yet that I'll bring up now because as I went around the city after this and we start talking to people, uh one of the main Angaran things is that they can kind of sense emotion. Uh, mm-hmm. similar to the way like again i was getting some vibes of like the prothean but also the asari here yeah. uh which again like i just think it's really interesting thinking about the angara in the way that life might have developed in another galaxy but along similar lines uh to the milky way mm-hmm. and so through that i was like that's super interesting but theirs is a little bit more ethereal you get the sense that they're not really aware of the reasons why they could, they're able to do that yet um you know maybe there is a side quest that gives you a little bit more detail that but when jaw was explaining it to me and when i was talking to other angaran npcs and quest givers and stuff they were kind of like yeah we just we feel things we feel each other's feelings and so it's like it's hard for us yeah. to lie to each other we feel things to a much greater depth and uh that was kind of cool like you know seeing them moving along their path because while it was cool that javik was like oh yeah this is the reason why protheans can read basically read minds and stuff like that but um i like having kind of that air of mystery um it's like it's a nice thing because like they are such a like in spite of everything they're very militaristic people because of the cat and so it's like nice that they're not like so stoic and sort of like you know like a the prothean empire was because like all they knew was war so like and all the a lot of the angara have known as ever known as war so it was nice like you know he starts off very walled off when he first gets here but 
like the level of like emotion to like the way that he talks and like the stuff that he talks about is really refreshing mm-hmm. and 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 on that note like we now we go back onto the tempest we kind of give everyone an update on what happened while we were on aya and obviously people are mad because they wanted to check out the vault and that was the reason why we came to aya and now we're leaving aya <laughs> and yeah I like the scene a lot because there's kind of a lot of arguing and people talking back and forth, different ideas, and then they just kind of go like Pathfinder, and it's kind of an early way for you to start to establish like, yes, I am the Pathfinder, but also yeah. it goes like comically terrible at the end. Um, yeah, but you do get to kind of it, it's like yeah, I would say it's, gonna, it's like it's like Star Lord trying to give orders to the rest yes, of the Guardians of the Galaxy. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You do get get to kind of turn to Jaw and be like, hey, you know. Apprises. He has this great, like, when I think of just shot composition in this game, him, the shot of him just kind of sitting there silently watching yeah. all of them argue is really good. It's, it's like, a really what have I good myself close into? Up. Yeah. Uh, you, you get a lot of character out of that one, like, framing of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we, you know, we got to tell him, like, hey, sorry, you know, we got to go take care of this stuff. And everyone kind of leaves in a huff. But we we can do a little bit of chatting with other people here. My God, all of yours is just Gil stuff. <laughs> that's, that's true, actually. There's like a couple of stuff here. I'm reading about, the yeah. a couple stuff here. This is all this is all Gil. There's one jaw line, and then everything else is talking about Gil and Ryder interacting. Go, go off, Ken. Go off. I would say, in fairness, like between <laughs> these two missions, that's all that's happening. So, because like I, you know, Gil's. Oh wait, no, I didn't. What? I had that later. Never mind. I, I was gonna say I had PB stuff, but because mm. Gil's like you know, he's trying to fix the ship because, um, you know, we just literally just went to the scourge and we're trying to make sure everything's okay for us to go to go on our various rescue missions for the Angara. It is so fucking horny. <laughs> like the first thing he like he's like talking he's talking to like the ship. He's like, oh, there you are, I've got you now. Like whatever it was that he was working on. And Ryder can go up and he's like, well, now that you've got me, what are you going to do with me? And then Gil goes, oh, sorry, you caught me off guard. I'll have to think about it. And he's like, see me if you want some suggestions. <laughs> and it's just like, it's so good. And it gets better because, like, he talks about, you know, he asked, he asked Ryder if he wants to, like, play a game of poker. Because, like, that's, like, a sort of an ongoing thread. Like, you can walk through the ship and everyone's talking about how Gil is cleaning everybody out. And there, there's, like, even a point where they're like, okay, we all need to play without him so we can learn so we can all beat him. And, like, it's a really fun sort of, like, ongoing thread throughout the game. And then when he's, like, he, like we should play it somewhere on the Nexus, Ryder can be like, I hear that there's a script version. We will not be playing that. And then Gil's just like, it's not how I would want to get you naked anyway. And it's like, Eric is so perfect. It's so good. I love it so much. And, the, like, the, the performances are so good, too, because it's not, like, they know just how much to, like, make it, like, cheesy. But also, like, you can tell, like, there is very much intent behind it. It's so good. I love, like, I know, I've said it like before, like, I just love how fun the relationships are in this game. I'm jealous because my, uh, I've not been able to get very far, uh, where I'm at in the game, which is, like, a little bit past this. I mean, we might even talk about it at the end of the episode, but, uh, the PB stuff has only progressed a little bit, just kind of a little bit of playful banter nothing no major Mm -hmm. scenes like that so far uh and vetra her dialogue has also not progressed at this point uh Mm -hmm. and has not yet where i'm at so 
I'm a little bummed there. I'm looking forward to seeing how those two quest lines divert. I'm a little interested. There is a point. There's probably a point somewhere where I have to pick, right? Is is there kind of a Mass Effect one thing where they both approach you and are like, hey, you know? There's not like a the approaching, but like there's a very much a point. Like some, it's more like Mass Effect three, where like you hit a certain point in somebody's route and you've locked it all off. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. All right. I'll keep that in mind as it, I there, continue like, progressing. Is it very obvious it, when that happens? Yeah. Like in most cases, they're like, "Do you want this to you know be? Are we? Are, are you gonna be a thing? Is this like real? Granted." Now that I'm thinking about it, like, and we'll talk more about this, you know, in probably probably not for a while, but like for at least a few episodes, there's like another, cause okay, like full disclosure, my writer's a hoe, and <laughs> is out here flirting with everyone that he can, and there are like points where, like I have the gill romance locked in, but I can still do flirting even to the point of like kissing somebody else, like it. Mm. The, yeah, because that's what I was curious about. Because if you could like lock in a romance with somebody else, and then basically like get all the way to the end point with another character, and just not hit the lock in on that, because I think you could do that in Dragon Age Two as well, which I love to think. I mean, Dragon Age Two, you could break up with somebody and then start going out with somebody else, and that would also affect the way that that plays out further. Mm-hmm. Which God bless that game, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah, Dragon just Age in 2. general, like. They seem to have found, like, a nice middle ground between making it, like, super rigid and also, like, Ryder has the entire ship to themselves and can just do whatever they want. Well, like, it's, it's somewhere between Mass Effect 2 and 3, I think, which is good. I, I appreciate it a lot. Anyway, it, it allows me to, like, headcanon shit. Fair, fair. Uh, we can also talk about, you know, we can talk with Jaw a little bit. We get to kind of, you know, keep him in check a little bit because he's, like you know, I don't know about living with aliens and we're, you know, I said the same thing where I was like, Hey, there's no room for bigotry on this ship. Like we're all going to get along. We're all going to enjoy each other. Like, and, but yeah, he, he mentions that he's not used to the living arrangements, like specifically just living on a ship that was not designed for Angara, but also like being around all these different people. Right. Uh, And that's where we kind of get some of those, moments of you know what it's like for him you know feeling the emotions of other people and we get kind of the sense that at at least i did that maybe he has a wall put up on purpose so he doesn't feel those emotions as often yeah um it's very interesting i i find jaw very interesting on this playthrough which i didn't my first time around so um again i'm looking forward to this i'm kind of realizing that there are there's like really good character writing in this game that i overlooked my first time no. Uh, because I just can't get past the engine of this game, man. <laughs> Speaking oh. of, let's. So we're we're setting down on Havarl first. Um, this is a very interesting place here because I, we mentioned this last episode. There's no nomad here. You are on foot right. the whole time, which is very interesting. I, I don't know yet, but I want to say it is an outlier in that respect. Yeah, um, I believe so too. And so it's it's also a really interesting place because it's the city, it's the Angaran homeworld, it's been overrun mm-hmm. by all this, you know, flora and as we gradually learn these creatures and things like that, it's very like it's got a jungle aesthetic, like it's it's nature rising up against industry. It's it's very interesting. Right. Um and as we 
venture in further, you know, our task here is to help the scientists that are on Havarl. I, I forget how much they tell you what's going on before you get there, but we essentially learn that some scientists uh, from the local scientist, Kieran, uh, they tell us uh, some scientists were stuck in stasis while they were investigating remnant tech. And since Ryder can mm. interface with the remnant, you know, that's our that's our job. We got to head out there. Right. Um, and obviously there are, there are Angara who are not happy to see us, and that is maybe best summarized by the Rokar, who... No. are a splinter force of the um they are a splinter force within the angara who not only resist the ket uh but they also resist the initiative they they no. which also so this was another thing i thought was odd how aware were the angara of the initiative before rider arrives Cause I was... Well, I mean, because like the, the exiles, they would have been like at least like tangentially uh, aware. Like... Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, so they knew that there were new people in the galaxy, just yeah. maybe had not made a lot of contact with them yet. Um, right. The Rokar are just completely against all mm-hmm. all invaders. The sense I got, I got a real Cerberus vibe from the description of the Rokar. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know, maybe not necessarily in the same way. It's like our our species needs to be above all others but i did definitely get this vibe of like they just oppose all other alien life that is wanting to settle but that creates an interesting dynamic because in that light you know we are the invader so how you know that justifies the rokar and what they believe a little bit more because Mm -hmm. they see their land being invaded i mean in this in this episode we're going to start to establish an outpost on a world where angara already live and so, right. like, that creates some interesting tension uh, that, again, I wish was maybe explored a little bit more, but it does set it Which, up in an interesting way. Well, we'll put a pin in that we'll put a pin for in. a loyalty mission later. Oh, okay. Okay. See, again, I'm playing through this, like, I've played through this section before, but I don't remember it at all <laughs> so, uh, prior to playing through it for the podcast. I mean, I remember my most recent playthrough, but... Um, yeah, the Rokar are very interesting. Um, yeah. And also, like, the enemies in this area, I did get a little frustrated because at times I was just like, it's hard to see things in the jungle. I know that's, like, very intentional. Yeah. You know, they want those lines of sight to be blurred a little bit, but mm-hmm. I was just kind of getting frustrated. it's frust- generally dark here, too. Oh, yeah. I I did get kind of frustrated where it felt like I was just kind of stumbling into an enemy and, like, basically yeah. being like, oh, hey, that's, like, an entire Rokar squad that I just walked into and now combat's starting, so... Yeah, especially because, like, you're not... You don't have the Nomad, so, like, you can't sort of just drive past these things. Like, if you're in it, you're kind of in it until mm-hmm. you can win the fight. Right. And, uh... Eventually, we, we find our way to the, the Remnant tech, and we do a little bit of our Glyph and Sudoku fun, and we get them out of stasis. And, um... It is it is interesting that they come out of it and they're immediately like, "Oh, hey, what happened? You weren't here a second yeah. ago." Uh, yeah, like one of them was like mid sentence as soon as he comes out. Yeah, which is nice. It means they weren't just like standing there completely paralyzed but fully aware. Which is some phobia shit. Yeah, that that would be bad. Would not enjoy that. Uh, but they do mention that they saw some Turian 
nearby or they describe a race to us that they saw and we especially i had vetra with me so we yeah, were basically like hey so they're like like that one yeah i was like hey like vetra and they're like yeah it's cool turians are here uh i will say at this point um because i don't think we get too far into the weeds if we mention it here i did then go immediately search out that part and we did make contact with the the turian mm-hmm. squad who we then learn yes the turian arc you know, things went down. This this squad basically crash landed on Havarl, and they're just fending for themselves. And we we learn about I forget the name, but we learn about the the Turian Pathfinder, um, and mm. we get basically kind of a cool little quote where they're like, "If he's alive, he's he's out there. He's looking for me and stuff like that. Um, he's looking for him as a friend. You know, they're they're really good friends, Ken." <laughs> <laughs> two bros sitting to cryopods five feet apart because they're not gay yep yep just you know they they decided they wanted a a dual cryopod where they could hold hands throughout the the journey but it was just because they're so strong they wanted to test each other's strength on the way there for 600 years and in a dual <laughs> cryopod just don't worry about it <laughs> um so that's like a neat little thing and it keeps us going on some of the arc stuff which we have not really gotten into yet we will kind of at the end of this episode because i think by i've not scrolled down your notes but i think by that point uh we will start talking about news on some of the other arcs but um we gotta jump back in the tempest because we can't spend too long here like i did trying to do all the stuff involving vaults and things like that on this planet and i spent like an extra hour or two on this planet doing all the side quests so you're just you're you're doing stuff then like you're okay on this planet right. just because i was like oh it's smaller you know i can travel mm. around super easily it's not going to take me as long and then i like i had one yeah. part where i died multiple times over on the same encounter and i was like cool and then another one where i was supposed to clear all the cat out of a camp and one of the enemies mm. bugged into the wall, and I couldn't shoot him. Damn. So I was like, neat. Uh, mm. That is a running trend we're going to have here, if Ken has seen my social timeline lately. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we jump back in the Tempest. Uh, once you've done one mission for Ephra, you're technically good. You're technically all yeah. right. But we're going to do both, because that's just how we roll around here. And also because Vold is a very interesting place. It's where we're going anyways. So yeah. uh, we can talk a little bit more to Jal about the Angara, learn some more. Um, we we get a little bit of exposure on kind of their beliefs and things like that. I only... See, I remember some of this, but I don't remember them talking about the Ket and the Archon here. So they do have long lifespans. Uh, well long compared to us whereas humans in mass effect have longer lifespans than humans do right now um but they also believe in reincarnation which is kind of neat i like that idea a lot i was thinking about it recently because i was playing oninaki and the demo for oninaki and that has a lot of stuff about reincarnation in it that i thought was interesting so um it's the the ket and the archon stuff is interesting in this context because it does give you a sense that like the Ket are a very recent thing for mm-hmm. the Angara, but as as we have obviously gathered by this point, things have gone catastrophically bad for the Angara. Um, you know, yeah. they're they have a resistance, you know, they're fighting against the Ket. The Ket obviously came in and between them and the Scourge, which the Scourge obviously devastated. And so here 
let me do this because again this is another point i would like clarified a little bit from from the knowledgeable person on this podcast <laughs> um did the scourge come before the cat yes. do we do we know that yet <laughs> i don't think so i don't think we know that yet okay well, so I got... No, we, we do not. I, I, I distinctly remembered when we find that out, and we do not. Okay, well, no, so I will say that my interpretation thus far was that while the Scourge and the Ket are probably related, uh, the way that the Angara had been talking about it made it seem like they were two distinctly different events rather than mm-hmm. one singular event. Because then I, mm-hmm. I also feel that it would have been like, okay, you know, they wouldn't talk about the Ket without talking about the scourge and also you know as we later talk about in quests here we get the sense that the scourge was a very far back incident that you know there are ruins related you know they literally date things pre and post scourge and something that would have been happening in the current generation's lifetimes maybe wouldn't have that level of delineation uh so that's kind of where i was at so i just wanted that verification um all right we also uh, can stop by Callow Station and hear him and Gil fighting about the Tempest uh, once again. <sighs> when are these kids going to get along, Ken? When are they going to get along? Probably never. It's a shame. Let's head to Vold, the ice planet, and totally not a place that annoys me. <laughs> um, let's let's start here. So Vold is kind of like the conflict planet. It is, Mm. like, Jal definitely sets up for us that it is a hot spot in the war between the Ket and Angara. We're we're meeting resistance leaders there, and even when we touch down, we get the sense that we're walking into, like, a uh, front lines sort of area. Um, You know, there's there's soldiers everywhere, there's ships touching down and taking Mm. off, there's, everybody's kind of on alert, you know, there is a... It's like a military base, like, the second you touch down. Right, and, and... there's like the immediate sense i got was that no one looked relaxed there was not a sense of like relaxation or calm there like everyone was on some level of alert Mm -hmm. so i was like okay like we are in it now um and you know we've dealt with some weather effects already uh in terms of radiation toxic stuff yes yeah uh you know we had that stuff where if, if you fought outside the the nomad and outside a safe zone on EOS and you got shot a couple of times, you'd actually start taking like huge amounts of life support damage, which can also kill mm-hmm. you, uh, which is an interesting like twist that mass effect Andromeda has added that we haven't talked too much about because it hasn't really been as much of a factor, but here on Vold, it's extremely cold. It's super cold. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of move between heat lamps. And luckily when you're in a dialogue with a character and you're not standing in a heat lamp, it does not decrease your heat while you are talking. I was like very paranoid that was going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) The second thing's like, okay, bye, kill them. Yeah, you just die. Die in the middle of a dialogue, honestly. Um, And so initially it starts off with like, okay, you know, make sure you move between heat lamps to, to stay warm. And there are definitely parts on Vold, where that is a critical mechanic, but overall I felt like mm-hmm. it was just kind of used for effect once, and then not touched on much again after that. Um, I, I don't know if you feel any differently, but I felt like after this initial yeah. area, I didn't really worry about the cold as much. I think, like, there are specific missions, and, like, one we've been talking about in this episode, where 
you know, there aren't a lot of heat lamps, or there are, but they're, like, spaced out in different places, but also it's happening in the middle of a firefight, so it's, like, something mm-hmm. that you had to, like, always kind of have in the back of your head, like, yeah, I need to deal with this cat, but also, like, I need to make sure I'm not freezing as I'm doing it. So, because, like, later in, in this quest line, we'll be attacking a base, and I was, like, I need to also, like, always be sort of aware of the environment that I'm fighting in, as well as, you know, what is around me, because I there are two things here trying to kill me. So, if I, if I can stay near the heat lamps while I do the firefight, then maybe that's just one thing I don't have to worry about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. Um, but right now where we are is, like, a dangerous, it's a hostile planet. You know, it is what we've come to expect in the Andromeda Galaxy. And as we move through the base, like, the one nice thing, again, I talked about immediate ramifications of your actions. Uh, mm-hmm. Everyone here is, like, super happy to see you if you've been to Havarl already. And... Mm-hmm. I imagine it's probably the same if you do Vold and then Havarl. Yeah, probably just inverse. Yeah, uh, but I did like that there was some recognition of the fact that I'd already done some good work, uh, that Ephra and Jal had been praising me and people had been talking about Ryder, you know, yeah. like they trusted me a little bit more. I like that. Uh, and we, so here, and, and again, I wonder how this plays out if this is the first time you've been to Vold versus how you and I did it, which is we went there as the second option. Um, Sam kind of gives you, so you talk to the commander and you get an idea of what's going on here. You talk to some quirky lookouts who are, are a good bunch of fun. Uh, I always love a mm-hmm. good quirky, you know, odd couple pairing of yeah. like lookouts or engineers or stuff like that. It's always good fun. But uh, then we drop in the Nomad, we bring down a forward station and we immediately get that sense. It's like, okay, this is another major planet. You know, we had forward stations on Havarl. Mm-hmm. But those are really more like checkpoints, and I never got the sense right. that there was going to be an outpost established there. Whereas here, it's like, okay, Sam, pull up what you got. On, and granted, like, Vold is one of the habitat planets. Um, right. It's one of the designated habitat planets. So it is it is one that we're like, okay, we got to fix this place up. And that was kind of weird because it was like, we're here in the context of helping the Angara. So the idea that we would touch down on the front lines of their war and set up an outpost was kind of strange to me. <laughs> um, you know, almost like the opposite of the sort of impression we want to be giving to Ephra. Right. But, um, you know, he immediately, Sam immediately identifies that like, okay, there's the red lights that they were talking about. You should probably go help them out. Uh, which is kind of what leads into what our main quest is here, uh, that we'll be talking about. There's some other points of interest. Uh, I've marked all the forward stations and then there are also, some monoliths so that means there's probably a vault and Mm. uh so that was and and by this point if you have talked to pb about her loyalty stuff that will also be marked on the map uh there's a place with remnant tech where uh you can go and it's basically the same as all the other monolith type areas but you just end up getting some remnant tech and it advances pb's loyalty campaign Mm. a little bit um but so the start of what we have is we get to i mean so immediately when you're going down the hill there are some uh angaran lookouts in a firefight with ket and you can kind of help them out and they'll eventually be like hey you know thank you for helping me i'm just a scout i was trying to lead them away from the base i was trying to distract them uh and you'd like save my life thank you um and that that was like a neat little thing it it gave me the sense that like yeah this is the front lines we are in it like Uh, and then yeah, as we, I mean, like every everything that you're interacting with here is about 
ways to combat the cat. Like there are little outposts throughout mm-hmm. where you know people are doing research, but it's also like reconnaissance and yeah, like every like the entire settlement of this planet for these people is trying to find ways to beat the cat. Right, and and as we move through this area, so like we're heading towards you know the red lights, which is this colony that's going to need help, and. Uh, one of the places I stopped by, I was like driving up to this area. This was actually, I think it's a little bit past what I was going to talk about. So, or, or what was next. So first we're going to go like rescue some Angara that have been taken prisoner by the cat. As we arrive at a place and, and a guide tells us, uh, that, you know, his uncle's been taken by the cat. Uh, so we bust in there. This is a fun little bit just because it really feels like a good little combat set piece. Like they just kind of found mm. some empty land and were like, let's design a really good combat encounter here. Yeah. And I like, you know, it made me feel really mobile moving between all the different cages yeah. and like, okay, I'm going to clear this out. But then there's also that element of I'm going to jump in here, like leap in, open this cage and start blasting people up. Like that felt really good. Yeah, I that's a weird thing that I love to do in this game. It's like if there's a chance that I have to like release somebody from a cage in the middle of a firefight, I'm going to do it because I like that. I live for the drama of that. Just like I got people shooting at me, like I got like the actual indicator that I'm being shot as I'm doing this. But no, like the entire point of me doing this is to save the people, so I'm going to do it first. Right, and and like the I like that also when you free the Angara, they immediately pick up rifles and start fighting with you. Like that's that's just a fun little addition that you know i think one of them says like all right i'm gonna kill some of those cat <laughs> like, yeah. yeah i like they have that vengeance in them I, I don't know it just it gets you riled up in the middle of a firefight and you're like mm. heck yeah let's take them down let's go um and so as we as we then realized they were they gathered some intel that needs to get delivered and i forget how this works if you say like i don't have time to do this if that just means it just marks the quest mech, the the quest on your map for later and so you can go start it then but otherwise it just tells you like hey go here now uh, but obviously you know like we chose to go there right away because that's what we do so eventually we have to take this data we have to take it to a map point and give it to another quest person who's then going to give us another thing that we've got to go do and, and this is kind of where like Vold gets a little grating for me is I like the idea of how massive this expanse is and how much there is that's going on but at the same time a lot of the quests that happen here end up feeling inconsequential especially compared to some of the side activities i think that's the weird part for me is that the main quest line here feels really bare bones especially compared to even Havarl and some of the extra stuff you do on Havarl, where it at least feels very meaningful. Here it's like, yeah. okay, you know, you're going to go go here, kill Ket, go here, talk to somebody, go here, kill Ket, go here, talk to somebody. And the weird thing, I would say the weird thing about the, the specific quest line here uh, is it's one of those things where you're like, okay, you commit to going to do something for a certain quest, but then like at the end they tag on something else. Like mm-hmm. you've got, like it's, it's not I don't have a problem with an ongoing quest line but like it always like feels like it is building to something that is not readily apparent until you get there and that's somewhat open world bullshit it's like they want to fill every like because I feel like the midpoint of this quest line in particular could just not be a thing that we had to deal with but I, I like to know what I'm getting into when I start a quest but this one this one in particular it was just very like they add on something mm-hmm. 
to like drag it on a little bit longer. Like I think the payoff is pretty good, which I mean we talked about before the show. You actually didn't get around to, but getting there is just it like again. It's like dragging somebody out of somewhere without really giving the full breadth of what you're going to ask them to do. Well, that's the bizarre part to me is that even when I got, like, by the time I got to the part that is, like, the eventual, like, the mission that would be the eventual payoff for all the the yes and that happens here, mm-hmm. uh, I was just like, I'm done with the, like, I'm, I was getting tired of the structure of it because it did not feel natural. It felt very video yeah. gamey, And... Yeah. I was... I mean, like, if you were a just tell like if you told me to set up with the very first mission and tell me where it was going to end up like i was like i don't see that does not sound like point a to b to me that sounds like point a to x i don't get how we got there and i think it might have even been better if they had structured this as a mission where it was like okay you are going to help the cat or you're going to help the angarn resistance by taking out the cat base that is what you are doing mm-hmm. here to help them and then just listed out you know here are three different quests that you're going to do and that will unlock your way into the base and, and get like the, the end of that last quest will get you into the base and have you mm-hmm. there. And then you have the actual quest of taking down the base. And at the end you have the little tie on that's like, Oh, you know, doing that opened up this other thing that you should probably go check out. Yeah. If like that little change and said, so you make it kind of this, you know, branch out, then branch back in yeah. instead of making yeah. it, you know, step by step by step by step just makes it feel less like a checklist. And mm-hmm. and that's, like, such a better change because when you land on Vold, they're already slamming you with so much because they're like, okay, well, uh, you got to do... You got to help the resistance here. You got to rescue the Moshai because that is where this is happening. And you got to settle this place as well. And then you've probably got some loyalty mission to do here for PB. And everybody else is giving you quests too. I mean, so there's one I didn't even mention that uh, as we pull up to the place that will give us the quest that will get us inside the cat base, uh, you can run into a sniper who's like, "Oh, hey, there's a wraith running around. I don't, I don't know where it went. Can you use your scanner and find it for me so I can take it out?" And that, I think they kind of intended that to teach you, like, "Hey, you can use your scanner to find these cloaked." jerks that have been hounding you in all these missions but uh you do get a little bit of dialogue with this character where he's like you know i i want to join the resistance but my family i don't know did you do this part at all did you run into this i I have not okay uh you have a choice basically where he's like i want to join the resistance but my family like my older brother died in conflict already and my mm. parents don't want me to go you can either encourage him or discourage him and say like you know like stay with your family or go to the resistance i told him to go to the resistance because i was you know even when you're out there in the base they're telling you hey you know any help we can get is much appreciated mm-hmm. i was like yeah he might you know there is a possibility this dude dies but it might also eat away at him that he's watching his friends die and he's like powerless to mm. help it and so i was like i, I was just kind of like you know he's going to be of better help and he'll also be less like I, I was also worried he'd like take you know be a vigilante and, and get himself killed that way mm. versus like joining an organization and a cause where right. he'd have other people helping him so i don't know that's really in depth for something that we're not going to talk much about but <laughs> <laughs> um i use that as a reference because that was like a nice little character moment and those things pop up all around vold but what it ends up doing is just creating this world that feels like it's constantly throwing new things at you 
and whereas EOS was very structured and very much like point A to point B in that way, where it's like, okay, go here, get the monolith, go get the other monolith, go to the vault, like, good job. That at least had enough branching and just enough of a gradual rollout of extra things I could be doing but didn't need to do. Whereas here, I felt like every single activity felt like it was extremely involved, extremely important. There was not a stratification of the things I needed to be doing. And it was just very overwhelming all at once, which maybe that was like the impression they were going for. But I was definitely like, also a fun fact. And I did this again because like the first time I got here, I remember feeling this way. Like the first time I reached Vold and Andromeda, the first time I played it. And again here, uh, I always end up thinking that there's like a bottomless chasm at the bottom of Vold, and I'm going to be like going across mountain ranges and stuff like that because when you first get the map, there's just this kind of void and all these different quest markers, and you mm. can't see the ground from the peak that you land on. And so I was like <laughs> really worried about driving my nomad down the mountain because I was like, what if I just go into some bottomless pit and it's like you died? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's there's not involved but i know that there is one in a later that we'll get to. i just think about that because that's like a good encapsulation of like how i feel about vold is that it is so intimidating is an intimidating area uh yeah you know maybe that is by design but i think quest design wise they could have made it less imposing on the player right um, yeah. anyways as we do eventually get along to we get some codes we get some schematics we access the back door to the base um there is a sense of urgency that they give you in this quest line that i guess is intended to keep you going because otherwise you just get sidetracked and be like i'm gonna do something else now they're like wait no they're gonna switch out the codes anytime you gotta do it now (sighs) i'm not sure if there's like a like i don't know if there's like a time limit like if there's like time sensitive nature like if you don't do this now shit will happen later yeah. Because I feel like there were at least a couple instances in this game that that happens. Let me... So but I don't remember if I have the wiki for uh, for Remove the Heart. In fact, there is an optional um, thing here that kind of sets up what will eventually be the end of this quest where you can, like, observe the Ket shield and then you, like, head over there and you find the dig site that will eventually become Uncovering the Past. Uh, but it's, like, an optional thing. It's just, like, a little tease. Uh, I'm reading this now... And it looks like there is not a time factor in this quest. Mm, okay. Yes, there's not a time factor okay. in this quest. Um, yeah. I, I might need to double check that later and make sure we don't like miss something that yeah, I, might I, be time sensitive. Yeah, I'm just reading through it quick on the, the, the Mass Effect fandom wiki. Thank you all so much. Um, it, it does not look like there is one. Uh but so as we kind of gradually advance up this like the they call it like the back door but really i felt like i almost did a full circle around the base and it just happened to like lift up in elevation enough that was like okay we found like this back road and all that stuff um Mm. and also this was where if if you follow me on twitter uh i had a very funny moment happened where a cat was running for cover towards like an elevation and as he went to mantle i think i used lift on him and it sent him flying off into the stratosphere <laughs> you charge after that shit yeah i don't i haven't skilled charge yet so um I'd, i'm 
Damn. I'm full on like the only abilities I have are the three I have mapped out, which are um I think lift, throw, and bionic biotic lance are the three I have. I have like mm-hmm. my L1 and R1 are lift and throw, I think, because that's those detonate off each other. One detonates yeah. off the other one. And uh <laughs> as I've learned, not the other way around. Uh, and Biotic Lance is like both a good universal detonator as well as just a really good It's it feels a lot like Reeve to me but like more yeah. physical like more like mm. it does a ton of damage but it's also like very I like the fact that it is a projectile it doesn't kind of curve like some of the other Biotic abilities do you just like throw some freaking Biotic energy at somebody and if it hits them it's going to really mess them up like I like that a lot that's my character so yeah. um, mm-hmm. not about the tricky plays all you know no curveball just the fastball uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so I sent that dude flying off into the stratosphere which is fine because it like counted them as kill or whatever but <laughs> I did not include this in my Twitter video. I then went over to where the last cat was, and it was one of the the minigun Toten guys, the the yeah. shield guys, literally inside a crate. Like his head, arms, and legs were sticking out from the crate, and he was like clipping through it basically, but he couldn't clip all the way through. And I had to jump on top of the crate and shoot the bit of his head that was sticking out until he died. Um, and then, video games man yeah and you know granted this is the first like i also had this on havarl where an enemy glitched into the wall and i could not kill them so i had to i, I didn't even finish the quest at that point i was like i don't want to redo that whole taking the base camp thing so i'm just gonna go do vold now mm. but i did want to bring that up that i'm starting to hit the parts of this game that are very like you know we talked about cutscenes and weird faces and stuff like that but there are like combat things like that where things get very janky very quick just because of the mm. more open nature of the and granted we didn't talk much about it and well we might have i'd have to go back to listen to the specific episode but there were parts where i did like i want to say it was jacob's loyalty mission or maybe somebody else's like miranda's where i got like I tried to mantle something and I got stuck on invisible geometry in Mass mm-hmm. Effect 2 and had to like restart from a checkpoint and stuff. You know, that's video games. They're hard things to yeah. make and and you know, these It is I was say like it's, it's interesting cuz like I in talking to people that play this game, there's like a major gap of like how much like how janky the game got for certain people cuz like I personally like in most of my playthroughs, I didn't have much... Like, I didn't have anything, like, even of that nature to, like, bring up and be like, this was something that happened to me that prevented my progress, where, like, I talked to my brother a bit, and, like, he had repeated points where, like, he would get a game over and then start, then, you know, reload, and all... Him and his squad would all be t poses. Like, <laughs> weird... And, you know, it's... It is that's especially prevalent in like open world games that are like supposed to have sort of like active worlds that are going on around you. It's just it's always surprising to me like just how much or how little things like that can affect different people. I yeah I suppose because like we're we're both playing on PS4. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, we're playing on the same so, platform, but you're not experiencing yeah. any of this, and I am. I assume you're not experiencing any of this. I mean, I, I assume you've not run into anything. No, like the worst thing that's happened to me recently would be like. I'll do fast travel and then 
instead of like doing like the quick loading screen, I'll get it, it, like I, I watch the area that I'm about to spawn into load for a little bit. Oh, that's like the yeah, weirdest yeah. glitch I've gotten so far. Yeah, no, I've had that too, where you like get into an area, but you're kind of like frozen and things are loading in still. Uh, yeah, definitely had that. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it's a known thing that this game has its little quirks. Let's say, <laughs> um, and. I, I think that's all fine because at the end of the day, like, again, the combat feels really good. You mentioned that, yes, there are, like, heat lamps here, and as we get further up the, the base, there are uh, shield generators and things like that. Um, there's there's a lot going on in this combat, and it always feels like the right amount of frantic versus controlled, and especially since mm-hmm. a lot of the abilities, especially if you play as Biotic, uh, give you that ability to control the battle. Like, I... <laughs> I floated a cat off the platform at the the top level of the base and then just watched him drop all the way down and yeah. it was great <laughs> like it's it's like little things like that end up kind of and even then like I enjoyed launching that one poor cat into the stratosphere like that was pretty funny um <laughs> you know that's like the fun kind of bug whereas the the dude getting stuck in the crate if I was then unable to kill him and then unable to progress like I was on Varl that would have been like a bummer kind of bug so it's like there's a very thin line there uh luckily i've not had anything that's like massively game breaking yet but um you know we got a lot more episodes to go (laughs) (laughs) there's plenty of time for that to happen yeah and and so as we get deeper and deeper into this base we finally get to the let's say the last combat arena of many combat arenas and it's this like really cool area where we're trying to take out different like platforms that have fighters on them and we're having like run over and hack a terminal to then detonate another terminal and things like that there's all this fire Mm -hmm. coming in ket are running into the room and once we get to the end of it uh we see and granted i we don't really get like a grand introduction to this enemy though i feel they end up being like one of the big boss enemies of the ket throughout the game uh, the Ascendant, which is like this mm. super biotic cat that is that has like a little orb that you have to destroy to then damage the actual Ascendant and stuff. It's like a really right. cool design. Uh, it reminds me of an Archon from StarCraft. Uh, yeah. just and they can one hit kill you. Oh too. yeah, like they're like they are intimidating in the way they look and like the way that they play as well. It's it's a really cool design. I really I liked it because up to this point the cat had just been the attack dogs and then a normal cat and then the the minigun cat you know it's very basic as we talked about in like the yeah. first episode whereas like now that the ascendant is in play i'm getting the sense that like okay cool they're gonna start to introduce more enemies like they're mm-hmm. like like more varied enemies in the vein of like mass effect 3 I'm, and i'm hoping that there's right. there's more that that pop up as time goes on but um we we eventually take over the base and, uh, and and get all this taken care of, and then we get the just one more thing. You know, we get the Columbo moment yeah. where uh, this was the part where I checked out because uh, I think it was probably like one in the morning by the time I got to that point, and I was like, "Cool, uh, it's, I'm done. This is as far as I'm going to play for the episode because I figured that was the end of it." There is one extra thing uh uncovering the past which is now that we have destroyed the ket shield generator that the dig site that they had previously taken over and were investigating we can now go in and investigate ourselves uh and so ken i'm gonna let you take the lead on this since you've actually played it and i've only read about it so yeah 
Well, they generally all because like that that shield was around like it was a dick site, but it was like under a city like that was mm-hmm. or like you know a small city that you know I, I guess it was a cat city or an angar city. I don't want to remember, but the point is to get you down to that dick site where they've got some people. So they've got like Angara slave labor down down there, trying to help them dig through, and like they've got explosives planted because like it's so frozen over in the wonderful way that Volt is. And so we take out the cat, we save some of the Angara, and we end up using their explosives to like what it was that they were here for, because like Sam can read this energy signature, and we get in there, and it is like an ancient Angaran AI. Awesome. They were messing around with AI too. Yeah. I I strongly strongly vibe with the Angara now. <laughs> Let's mess with AI. <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing is like you get there and Sam can Sam can tell you that everything this AI is telling you is a lie. And it is basically looking for a way to get Ryder to destroy it because it has like it's lost its preservation instincts and it's because it's been down there for however long. Like, it's been, you know, under several feet of ice. So, like, who knows how, exactly how old it is. So, what the choice ends up being... Because, like, one of the, one of the Angara, Angaran prisoners comes up, is like, oh, we have to take this back. We have, we have to show everyone what we've discovered. And then it starts to, like, electrocute the Angara. So you realize that it's either you let the AI kill the Angara or you destroy the AI itself. So, on, like, a few levels, this makes me kind of... I didn't like feeling like I was put in the position where I was making major choices for the Angar when they weren't really here to make it for them. Because, mm-hmm. you know, this is, like, a major discovery. Like, as far as they know at this point, they don't really have any AI in modern Angaran society. And so, like, part of me is like, yeah, this is probably, like, something that they want to see, they want to know about... But also, like, is it worth this dude's life? And that, you know, comes down to my writer's mostly bottom line of, like, I don't want, like, regardless of, like, whether the game will let me, like, I would like to minimize bloodshed on my behalf as much as possible. So I ended up destroying the AI, and we later find out that was kind of what some of, like, the leadership of the Angara was probably willing to, like, what they wanted to do in the first place. Because we get, you know, the email from Ephra, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know, that, that, that was a good call. You saved that man, and now his family who thought he was dead because he was captured for that long. Like, you've given them a gift. I think it's the actual phrase yeah. he uses. But it's still, like, it's it's a weird thing because, like, it is... We're solving a lot of these people's problems for them. And, you know, that there's, like, you know, an altruistic side of that. Like, yeah, we were helping out and making lives better for all of them. But it's also, there's a weird part of it. It's like, I don't like being put in the position where I am making decisions that are going to affect the Angara, like, the the very nature and path of that species. I, I think that's fair in some ways, but I think that's also looking at it as, like, seeing the Angara as still in a, like, a, a stage where they're evolving, whereas, like, this, I, I don't even know if I'd necessarily compare it to the Krogan, because we've already established that the Angara are spacefaring, the Angara have government, the Angara have you know, organizations within themselves, they have different political factions. Like, I don't think it's necessarily the same thing where it's like, you know, maybe you might be affecting the way that their future pans out because this is their future. You know, it's, it's, it's like, 
I don't see it necessarily as you are affecting some sort of evolutionary path or anything like that. Because I think the Angara are at, you know, what you know, the apex of where they could be. There is as evolved, if not more evolved than many of the races we have aboard the Tempest. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not as concerned about that necessarily. Uh, I do think there is an argument to be made about, you know, the the cost of life versus the cost of knowledge. And I think that's what this moment is intended to kind of press upon you is are you going Mm. to choose the potential of what this AI might hold? And even, you know, like the Angaran there are telling you, you know, we want this technology. We want to see what this is. You know, even though they've been basically forced to uncover it, there is some element of them that's like it's so this piece of our history is so long gone that they're willing to pay the price for it. And so you're just kind of in a position to allow them to or not. Uh, Not to like flip it on you and be like, oh, you could be taking that decision away from them. But um, (laughs) it's, I I think it is like a very interesting quandary that luckily like that's, that's a good, I think it's a good choice to have to make because it does have those dimensions to it. Uh, I will tell you that when I go back and play this mission, uh, I will bring the AI to the Angara. So we at least have someone who is doing that and see how that plays out. Because as we have done in some preliminary research, that affects something later on uh how it does so i do not know i just know that it ticks a box and if ken does not have that box ticked then i will tick it myself (laughs) uh so but i think if i'm to put myself in a situation where i honestly have to make that call i think it is kind of tough i think i'd have to think about it a little bit and we talked about the options of either destroying the ai or bringing it to the angara but there is a third option that you could bring it to the initiative and take it for yourself which is maybe the most renegade option (laughs) it's definitely the most (laughs) selfish but and you get chewed out by ephra for that it doesn't really affect anything but uh it does you know kind of put a sour note on all of it and uh i'm I think that's interesting. I think it's an interesting way to to take this. And again, like Andromeda has so far been posing us a lot of very interesting questions, especially now that we have this race that we are having to deal with that is not, you know, because we do have all the different alien races. And we talked about last episode, all the ways that their Milky Way conflicts have transferred over to Andromeda, how that's created political divides within the Andromeda initiative. But at the end of the day, we're still kind of united under a general banner of the Andromeda initiative. And now we're finally having to deal with another larger faction that isn't just, you know, the, the bad guys. Um, Mm. so I'm interested to see how that stuff begins to carry out, uh, throughout, throughout the rest of the narrative. Uh, before we end this episode, this very long episode, uh, we (laughs) can, so we, I will mention here that, we already i think i already had this call because you can have it already and then still go do all the bold stuff and not worry about doing the moshai mission just yet you can kind of be like eh, hang on i want to do some other things first um which is what i did but by this point we can call ephra and let them know that we want to help with the moshai rescue thing um it looks like you as as i did like brought up the fact that we have sam to to help us out and if we can you can either come clean about the fact that you have an ai that is your assistant and can like help with things or you can try and keep it under wraps i was very open about it because i think you know like honesty is going to be best for diplomacy in this situation right and plus sam is like so integral to everything that we're doing here it's like 
if you don't find out from me, you'll find yeah. out from somebody else. They're going to so, like, notice you talking sort of like... yourself at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you wanted to touch on something with Liam's armor requisition, which I was interested to hear about. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I wish you'd seen it. Cause, like, it, I, it I will, I will into, go like, around to see it. Don't worry. Yeah, because it comes into like what we're talking about, like learning like the linguistics of other cultures and like trying to, you know, kind of gauge what everyone's talking about. Like when you get the very literal translations, because what happens the the premise of this scene is Liam's like, "Hey, writer, can you go do a requisition or for this piece of armor?" And he's like, "Put it under diplomacy, like if you need to like expense it." And then writer can be like, "Okay, sure." So you go do that, and then you go to Liam's room after, because that's, like I said, like, go talk to Liam in his room. And he and Jal are in there, basically, well, Jal is completely naked, and Liam is, like, in his boxers. And as they're working on the armor, they're, like, basically roasting each other the whole time, like, asking each other, like, very uncomfortable, like, questions about, like, like, Liam's like, can I wear your poncho? Like, the one that you wear in, you know, battle. And then he, Jaws like you may not and Liam's like is it because my status or because I'm not in Gara like what what exactly like it sounds defensive like to a person like a person that's walking in like Ryder is like it sounds like why are they getting into these arguments about each other's culture and then you can be kind of like what is going on here like what like we don't need you starting like wars with people that we just met and then Jaws is like oh I thought this was sanctioned and he walks out you know completely stark naked in the middle of <laughs> the thing and so you talk to Liam and he's like what are you doing exactly and he's like we were talking and joking around and we realized that we didn't know how to insult each other and how to like where were the lines of what is okay for us to make fun of and what is not because like you know thinking back to like the Milky Way we had seen things like that were probably like a step too far on like giving each other shit like what it be like if we had made fun of Vitaly for what happened with the Geth or right. um, like the Genophage or something like that. Like You, you mentioned such an Pure Blood is Sorry here and I think that's like a really yeah. good example of like a thing that is an ingrained culture thing that an outsider could easily wield as an insult that would like harm someone like to their core. Right. Yeah. And so it was just interesting to me that they like the, the scene itself is like it's played a kind of funny but like I like the heart of what it is. It's that like there are, you know, we're learning about, like, all the Angaran culture from, like, you know, an educational standpoint, like, trying to understand what it is, that, like, why they do any one thing. But, like, there is that moment where, like, what is okay for me, you know, as an outsider of this culture and the species to even mention? Like, where are, like, the pressure points? And so the whole thing was that they were going to work on armor together so they could have that moment of, like, basically, okay, let's without any sort of, like, opportunities to get offended or bothered by anything the other person says, let's hash this out and so we know how we can and how can, we cannot insult each other. I, li- I like that, like, talking under the guise of, you know, what's okay to say to each other because that also, I feel like, that establishes rapport in a way. You know, like, if you've ever had mm-hmm. a friend that you can, like, jokingly tease and, and you know, like, what's on the right side of the line, what's over the line uh, with each other, like, that's, it's a very... It's a very interesting way of doing it. It's also a very, like, different way of going about it than we've had so far because we've so far heard a lot of, like, oh, Pathfinder regulation says and stuff like that. But right. for Liam to just be like, no, we're going to 
we're gonna see what our sacred cows are we're gonna see what our like you know what is okay and what is not and yeah i'm looking forward to that scene now like that that is the aspect of this game that is i think interested me the most it's just getting Mm. to like and, and the fact that it really gives you the option to like spend so much time getting to know the angara because it gets to zone in on like like it just focuses the lens in on them as the new species it gives you that mm-hmm. opportunity to really delve into it uh i'm fascinated to get further into that but i think that's gonna do it this week for our uh we didn't get around to talking about any of the loyalty stuff that gets set up with like pb or cora but i think we can get to that in later episodes like maybe the start of next episode so for now uh we just want to real quick uh again we are normandy fm we are a mass effect retrospective podcast we are on andromeda now we've done the full original trilogy already you can go back and listen to all of it on spotify on itunes on google play we're on soundcloud not on bandcamp Uh, does anyone use that anymore myspace music nah but um (laughs) We're, we're out there. You can follow us on twitter.com slash show if you want to keep up with what we're doing whenever we decide to do surprise streams or something like that. I'm definitely thinking about doing some Andromeda streaming this time around as well. Um, and also, if you want to support us, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash normandyfm. We have awesome patrons there who are always helping out they're keeping the lights on they're paying for that soundcloud hosting costs uh, we want to give a special shout out to ruben vanderlund thank you so much for your donations if you want to reach that tier where you can get a special shout out from us you just head over there donate to that tier if you don't want to there's no pressure we're just happy to be doing this we're doing andromeda because people have donated because they want to hear it we're going to keep doing more as long as people keep donating who want to keep hearing us talking about mass effect bioware all things rpgs in general uh thank you so much to everyone who reaches out and says thank you who you know shouts out our work we love hearing from y'all it's a great time and we love doing this for y'all every week again this is like a weird week I, for y'all as listeners it's not weird but for ken and i we will be having mm. like an extra recording bump in here so please be kind to me the next time we come around and i definitely forget things about andromeda i'm gonna be good about note taking <laughs> so i don't but uh We'll be seeing you on the next side of the next episode, which will be rescuing the Moshai. We got to get her out of there. Kept prison? That seems pretty bad, Ken. I don't know. I don't want to be there. Who knows what happened there? Yes. Who knows? Who knows what secrets of the Ket we could uncover inside such a place? One of us knows. Well, yeah. Ken knows. For everybody else, we'll hear more next week on Normandy. Normandy FM. Yeah,